Welcome to the European CME Forum podcast. European CME Forum is a not-for-profit organization that promotes multi-channel discussion on matters relating to European and global CME CPD. My name is Eugene Pozniak. I'm the program director of European CME Forum. In today's episode, Frauke Sosef from Core2Ed chats with Good CME Practice Group members Monica Gidinelli from the AO Foundation and Sophie Wilson from International Medical Press. The Good CME Practice Group, or GCMEP, is a membership organization for CME providers based in Europe. The focus of today's episode is outcomes measure and what providers in Europe can realistically achieve in practice. Hello. A warm welcome to this uh, webinar today from the Good CME Practice Group on Educational Outcomes Measurement. My name is Frauke Sosef and I'm the Medical Director and Co-Founder of Core2Ed, a company in uh, independent medical education. And as Core2Ed, we are a proud member of the Good CME Practice Group. During today's webinar, which is uh, 30 minutes, we will provide you with an overview uh, of the levels of outcomes, educational outcomes, and uh, also give you practical examples on how these can be achieved, but also how these cannot be achieved. With me today are Monica Gidinelli and Sophie Wilson. A lot of questions have already been submitted uh, through the registration page. Uh, we categorize them and we'll go through those. But during the webinar, if you have any questions, we would like to ask you to post them either in the Q&A section or in the chat section, and we will do our best to go through all of these questions. So before we dive into the discussion, I would like to ask Monica and Sophie to introduce themselves. Ladies. Hi, I'm Monica Ghidinelli and I work for the AEO Foundation. That is an organization that focuses on education, innovation and research for surgical treatment of trauma and musculoskeletal disorder. For the AEO Foundation, the outcome measure of our education is really important. And if you think that we have 14,000 faculty all over the world that teach to more or less 55,000 um, learners every year. They are the first one they want to know, okay, what the education that we provide is effective, is uh, really improving patient outcome. Um, so they want to know that their time, uh, that they volunteer is worth it. So this is why the AO Foundation has, um, uh, has been investing a lot of resources in this area. And uh, I'm happy to share with you a few examples of what we are doing. Thank you, Monica. Hello, I'm Sophie Wilson, Director of CME Services at International Medical Press. And we're part of the Nucleus Global group of companies and known as IMP for short. So IMP specializes in peer-reviewed independent medical education and accredited CME across a variety of therapy areas and we are founding members of the Good CME Practice Group. High quality independent education with measurable outcomes is key to our programs um, to ensure that they're appropriate for the audience and effective. Um, Thank you. Looking forward to your questions. Thank you, Monica and Sophie. So let's start. Um, maybe the first question is for you, Sophie. Um, for everybody attending, uh, could you give a short overview of the possible educational outcomes uh, for programs in independent medical education? 
Thank you, Frauke. Well, when looking at outcomes of an educational intervention, the most important thing is to ensure that the outcomes you, you set out to achieve are aligned with the learning gaps that you're trying to fill. And they need to be realistic. And I'm going to use that word a lot of times, realistic. So, for example, if you're trying to build, bridge a skills gap, providing a lot of information and data is, is not going to increase skills. It's not going to improve skills. So be realistic about the gap and about how you're trying to fill it. So what outcomes can we expect from independent medical education programmes? Outcomes generally fall into five boxes, increasing physician knowledge, improving practical clinical skills, physician attitude and motivation, i.e. changing the behaviour of physicians. And lastly, there's systems outcomes. And those are ones that we probably don't address, at least not as independent CME providers. That's really what happens in government um, institutions, in hospitals and so forth. So generally um, outcomes are categorized using Moore's outcomes framework or the, the pyramid. Um, it's used to assess learning and evaluate activities. Levels one and two are about participation, satisfaction, i.e. have you sat through, are you happy, was the food nice, that sort of thing. Level three is about knowledge gain. So what do you know, what do you know, what do you know how to do? But it's just knowledge. And then level four is about competence, i.e. being able to show how to do something, at least in an educational setting. And then level five is about doing you know, implementing what you've learned in day to day in your clinical practice. And then six and seven, um, which we'll touch on, only touch on probably today, are more about improving patient community health. And, and that's really what, in my view, happens in the hospitals. And sometimes our programmes touch on it. But I think Monica's going to go through some of these outcome levels in a bit more detail. Um, thank you, Farke. Thank, thanks, Sophie. So um, maybe I'll, I'll stick with you a little bit longer. Um, so your word realistic. Uh, could you also tell us a little bit more about sort of the realistic feasibility of these outcomes? Yes, so realistic. Well, knowledge, increasing knowledge is very straightforward. If you organize a program, um, you can increase knowledge and you can measure it measure that acquisition of knowledge by using a, a simple multiple choice question. For example, after the activity, you do a little test and you know people have learned something. That's that sort of outcome at, at that knowledge level three level is, is pretty straightforward. Can we improve skills and how do we measure it? Well, if an activity is set up properly, Yes, I think you can. So, for example, if you've got communication skills, you can acquire those by having a live role play workshop. Might be a bit more difficult virtually. Practical skills can be acquired also in a case study sort of simulation exercise. And I think the AO Foundation do a lot of that in surgery and Monica will, will touch on that. So, so I'll leave that for Monica. Um, but you can learn skills and you can measure it. 
So as well as um, knowledge and skills, programs are frequently designed to change physicians' motivation and attitude. And here a successful outcome might be to change physician behavior. So for example, you might use role play to, to teach motivational interview techniques so that next time physicians are in front of a patient, they change how they do their clinical consult um, to use some of these skills. Measuring that is going to be much more difficult. Um, so you can get change it and get good outcomes. Measuring it is, we'll talk a bit about more later. The ultimate outcome is to improve care and outcomes for patients. And this is definitely possible and realistic. You know, with increased knowledge, better skills, a better attitude, physicians will change how they run their day-to-day -day clinic. And, and we should believe that this, is, this should have a positive impact on patients. Um, I hope that answers your question, Frauke. Yeah, thank you, Sophie. So over to you, Monica. Uh, so let's zoom in a little bit more on level four. Um, how can we demonstrate improvement in competence? Can you give, because we're now going into the practical examples, can you yeah. give an example on that? So uh, basically now level four, we want to know, is the participants able to show how is doing something? Um, so let's say in the ideal world, we should be able to, uh, look at the learner and observe how, uh, I mean, observe in a, in a setting. And uh, this will be, I mean, the learner should be able to describe what they are going to do. Let's say we do a lot of practical, um, so skill training. So they will describe how they are going to do something. Uh, and we can do that in a um, in a learning setting and we have done it. So you need only to train, let's say the faculty to uh, score how they explain and uh, you still need a certain standard setting, okay? Because you need uh, to compare the different participants. Uh, so you, it's still time consuming and not so easy to do. But what you can also do is, um, I mean, on a bigger scale and is more, it's easier to do is to um, have, for example, um, a written uh, case and then ask with the MCQ, so multiple choice question, what is the option that they will choose on how to do a certain procedure or something like that. Uh, so in a way, in, in, you are able to monitor if they are able to show how they are doing something. Of course, uh, you can choose multiple choice question. And this is um, our preferred option because it's easier to analyze. But if you have faculty that are willing to go through um, open text uh, answers, then go for it because it's also a good way. But even in this case, you need a standardized um, way to assess this. So you can compare how they are answering before the uh, intervention and after. And in this way, you have um, an idea if the they improve their competence, let's say. But um, yeah, or the easiest way the, the, that is a little bit suboptimal, but if you have no resources and no time to do it uh, in a better way, then ask the participants to self-report on their competence level. 
it's, it's suboptimal, but it's still giving you an idea of uh, their uh, if they they improved. Thank you, Monica. So this was level four. Then let's look at level five, Monica. Can you also give an example on that one? So on level, level five, five is uh, performance. So are they really able to apply what they learn and now they improve their performance? I mean, even here we have the best scenario would be to go in the clinic, follow them uh, and have someone scoring uh, what they are doing. Uh, is this really possible? Yes, in some cases, but it's like a, a real effort to do that. So another way to do the same thing is probably to look to review the patient charts um, that you have on the hospital level. Uh, or uh, what we have done actually is, um, is a clinical trial per se. So we, um, we record the surgeries that someone is performing, and then we analyze those surgeries. But this requires, a, I mean, this is a clinical trial, so you need ethical approval and so on and so forth. So the time uh, and the resources that you need to put into that is really huge. And this is an ongoing project. So it's not like uh, six months, uh, it's over years because it's really demanding. But um, what you can do on a daily basis and uh, uh, is uh, ask for the self-reported uh, performance. So then you, uh, um, so what we do on a regular basis in all our courses is actually uh, just after the, um, the learning activity, we ask the participants to describe one to three changes that they are intending to make in their own practice. And three months later, we go back with the same statements to every single participant so they know what they wrote, and we ask them which one they implemented and, um, and in how many patients they applied this. So we have also a little bit of a readout of uh, how many patients have been affected and if they implemented what they have learned. Also in this case, is not a direct measure but is uh, what we, you can do <laughs> on a daily basis, I would say. Thanks, Monica, very clear. Um, so those were practical examples. Now, um, quite a few of the questions that came in, uh, and that's for you, Sophie, is linking educational needs to educational outcomes. We all set up um, independent medical education programs. It starts with, defining the uh, educational need, but uh, can you um, give us some further insights on how those educational needs can be linked to educational outcomes? Thank you, Frauke. Um, yes, as you said, every educational program needs to start with a needs assessment. And, and if I take that further, it's got to start with identifying the gap in patient care, i.e. why are we even trying to educate the healthcare professional in the first place? What do they need to do? What does the healthcare professional need to do better to better care for their patient? And once you've identified that thing, that they need to, that the healthcare professional needs to do better, then your outcome is to educate 
the physician to implement that thing. It could be knowledge gain, it could be a skill, it could be motivation or attitude. But that's how we link the, the educational outcomes to the needs assessment. Thanks, Sophie. Um, uh, now, and you already touched upon it a little bit, the higher levels of outcomes, so level six or seven, and uh, Monica with the AO Foundation and the work you do there, I think you're very well placed to assess those higher levels of outcomes. Um, what do you see as feasible um, in getting to those levels six or seven? I mean, uh, as you say, I mean, patient health and uh, um, community health is really, really difficult to measure. Um, as I mentioned before, also the, the performance, if you want really to, to follow uh, directly the, the learner is difficult because you have really to go into the hospital and look there what they are doing. Um, but let's say that uh, uh, what you can do on the on the patient level is probably on the if you are in a hospital, um, you can look at uh, the the database that, that you have available there, and if the general health of the patient is improving over time, and uh, also on the state level, you can have the database and look uh, and analyze those data. Uh, but can you link that to a single e uh, educational event? Then this requires really more effort. I mean, probably Sophie will give you also another example later on, but uh, at least what we have done uh, is to, we want to try to link uh, education to um, improve performance and also to improve patient care. But to do that, so the goal is really for a um, specific type of surgery, um, look the followed follow up the patient after uh, the surgeons have done the course that we are providing but to do that really it's a, a clinical trial so you, we have multiple steps first of all you have to describe do you need a tool to um, measure the performance and we are in a global environment so ready to you know every country does a little bit different so ready to agree on a unique tool to measure the performance of a surgeon took two years and mm -hmm. validate that. Now we have this tool and we can use that to evaluate the performance. Um, and all another trial, a clinical trial is then after the performance, can we link the performance to the improved, uh, I mean, I mean, we want a reduced mortality rate. So the readout, the final readout is, a, is a kind of easy to, to see, but still the whole process is very long and um, yes, really time consuming. And um, I mean, if you want to, to do it, uh, you need to do it properly, but you cannot do this for every single course that you do. I mean, it will be impossible no. to, to, to realize. Yeah. And for the community health, uh, we have also a, a, another project that is basically a um, case registry. Uh, and uh, 
compared to other registries where you have databases from patient, what we are inserting is also the, um, the patient reported outcome. Because we feel that sometimes, uh, let's say the databases report only certain type of uh, readouts from the hospital and from the surgeons. But in many cases, the, the patient is not uh, having a, what they were expecting as a uh, as an outcome. They want to go back to their normal life, but maybe still affected. So this is what we are trying to do, and uh, on a on a general level, basically. Thanks, Monica. Very clear. And again, good to be realistic uh, <laughs> yeah. on, on the feasibility of that. So now uh, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, uh, Sophie, uh, also in, the in our world of independent medical education, there is an increasing role for social media. Um, what are your thoughts on measuring outcomes for educational programs delivered through social media? Thank you, Farke. Um, I'm going to be really honest. I think I think social media is potentially a really powerful educational tool, but I'm not sure we, we know yet how to use it in the most effective way for pure education. I mean, I think we've probably all used social media to promote a program, to raise awareness, to, to get engagement. But the question is, how on earth do you educate in 280 characters? And, and if anybody's found a solution, I'd love to know. So, so what can we do beyond promotion? I, I think social media is a great tool for stimulating discussion. Um, okay, that's not formal learning, but it's reflective learning. It's immediate. It's fun. You're talking with your peers. You're definitely learning if you're doing that. Um, people like to talk to their peers. So there's a lot of engagement as well. So I think we shouldn't undervaluate undervalue that, that reflective learning. Now, in Europe, and I know in the US it's different, but in Europe, accredited learning is still generally, although it's changing, tied to one hour of learning. Um, but microlearning is on the increase. The accreditation organizations are definitely changing and adapting to this new environment. So microlearning is on the increase. Um, and so we should start to explore microlearning platforms as a way to share small pieces of content, infographics, short videos, uh, and stimulate that reflective learning. And we can probably start using polling tools on the platform, you know, you, and you can also link out from a, a social media platform and link out to a video, but also link out to an online test and online evaluation. Um, so I think I think it, it will be possible. I think we still need to explore how we do that more formal education. Um, the challenge is also going to be to, to promote your program and get enough followers to stimulate meaningful discussion and learning. But definitely something to keep an eye on and very exciting. It is exciting. Eh? Thanks, Sophie. Thank you. Um, Monica, maybe um, a, a question came in on the, on the topic you described just now about the, you know, the educational intervention and your clinical trial. Um, a question came in on how long the intervention was. 
And if possible, if you could uh, explain the intervention in a little, little bit more detail. So basically, normally the intervention that we are talking about is a two-day workshop that has, uh, um, let's say, lectures. So it has a knowledge uh, component and a skill component. So we really go into, since it's a surgical procedure, they need to be able to perform it. So we go through the steps, uh, how it's performed. So it's normally two days. Um, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, then uh, we, there are a number of questions about level five. Um, so performance and, and, and level five performance and uh, gauging the impact of CP, CDP in the clinic. Um, Sophie, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I mean, I think Monica has already talked about the challenges of less assessing and the reality of assessing level five outcomes I mean as a reminder level five is about doing implementing it what you have learned in your day-to-day -day. Um, so outside of the educational setting and that's always a challenge because once your once your learners have gone back to their clinic they're invisible to you. They've left school. I mean, how, how do you see what they're doing? So that's, that is a challenge. Monica suggested one way to create a meaningful um, assessment of outcomes is to do some follow-up after the educational event intervention. So reach out to them, get that, them back to that school reunion. I think key is to make sure that your program is set up to educate on something that can actually be implemented by the physician in their daily practice you know it might be an injection technique it might be knowledge of new treatment guidelines um, but if it's something they can actually use then to gauge the the outcome you can ask learners to submit anonymized data for example you can say okay when you go back to your clinic please use this form to submit data on the next 10 patients you see or something like that. Um, and then you ask them three months later, six months later, to submit the same data on the same patients in, in the follow-up. And then you can see by looking at that, those submissions, you can see whether or not they've, they've changed how they, they treat their patients in practice. You can, and I know in the States they do that, as an incentive, you could consider this as a micro, an add-on micro-learning module, reflective learning, so that they can get further credits. Um, yeah. So that's one way of doing it. Yeah, or the self-reporting, as uh, yes. Monica already explained, uh, which yeah. is maybe not optimal, but it could suffice. Um, Let's see, we have uh, four minutes left. Let's, let's go to a question that just came in. Um, it's about the pyramid, the more scale. Um, how would you update it? Uh, this is actually a question that also came in through the registration, that it's effectively aligned with what's clinically realistic uh, to, to see a result of your uh, education. So uh, do you think the pyramid of Moore's, uh, of, John, um, 
of the you know the educational levels if that that should be changed or revised or updated um i i'm not sure it needs to be i think it's an important pyramid because i think what it shows us is that there are different levels of education um and and there's different and, and, and you need to do different things in the clinic. There's some things you can do in an educational setting and there's some things that need to be done in the clinic. And I think the pyramid distinguishes that really nicely. And I think it's really, really important that providers, learners, but also supporters understand this because we've all come across a, a request for a proposal where it says, can we have levels five, six or seven? And then it's, it's got to be realistic and I think so I like the pyramid because it makes those distinctions really clear then how you apply it you apply it in different settings you know Monica they have surgery and, and simulations and practical workshops you'll look at it in a slightly different way to if you're doing online learning or if you're doing a a motivational interview workshop so I'm not sure it's got to change because I think it holds the basic concepts and, and is really clear. Um, I think what's important from the pyramid is to know that CPD isn't just about six and seven. There are levels one, two, three, four and five underneath. Um, and there's a need for education at every single level. You know, if a new treatment comes along, you don't need level six, seven. You need level three. People need to learn the new guidelines, the new mechanisms action, learn how about this product so that they can apply it and use it effectively in their clinic. They, they don't need level six, seven, they need a good level, solid level three. So for me, that, that's what the pyramid does. It shows us really clearly that there's different things to aim at. And okay. we shouldn't be... Thanks, Sophie. We have one minute left. Monica, is there anything you would like to add to this on the on the pyramid? Um, I think it was a clear message from Sophie. But anything yeah, you would like to add? It's good to have it there as a let's say to reflect and uh, but be realistic in where you can position yourself. Excellent. Thank you. For um, there have been more questions uh, submitted. Uh, what we will do as a good CME practice group is uh, we'll look at those also um, uh, with other questions that had already been submitted and consider doing a second webinar on educational outcomes. The need for this was high. Uh, I would like to thank Monica and uh, Sophie for your insights. Much appreciated. See you all next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was GCMEP members Frauke Sosef, Monica Gidinelli, and Sophie Wilson, discussing outcomes measurement and what we can achieve in practice. GCMEP is a membership organization for CME providers based in Europe that aims to promote professionalism within the European CME provider community. More information can be found on the group's website at gcmep.org. Thank you for listening and join us for more episodes as we explore all things CME CPD.